Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. With all due respect, I reject your theory completely. But you know what? There needs to be some backlash to this. This would be disastrous. There really has to be a better way. And I think the biggest question here is, what the hell is going on? The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Proof for present. Get in the race. Will he run? And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Speaking of that, Gru, I haven't heard that opening before. Are we going to change that up every few weeks? Something uh, different? Yeah, every couple months, I think. A couple months? Every, more frequently, you okay, think? Okay, more frequently. Sure, Absolutely. Okay. Earn your money, for goodness sakes, before you leave me to run for president. Absolutely. I, I, I love it. Love all the new sound effects and things like that. All right, let us get started. Hope you had a great Father's Day. A little bit chilly. I'm still waiting for spring to come here. Um, we were... Okay, you know, I understand. If you want to see how I spent my Father's Day, well, it's um, some father. Some people have cookouts. Some go to the beach. Uh, the Wagners, we go to Arlington Racetrack and play the ponies. And so if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 That's a picture of my brother and I and my niece and nephew and my lovely and charming wife. We were down at Arlington yesterday. I, I also I got one of these deals of I told you so because, okay, the, the forecast, it was supposed to be in the 70s going down into the 40s at night. Well, it was pretty consistently in the low 50s, and my wife brought blankets and stuff like that along, and I kept saying, we're not going to need them. Just leave them in the car, and we, we definitely needed them, so she had to run back to the car to get them. So I've been hearing about that for the last you know day or so, but appropriate. She's like, don't doubt me on these things anymore, and so the weather guys kind of screwed me up. But, you know, I, what's something that happened and something that I noticed at the racetrack yesterday really informs where I want to start today's program. For everybody out there who thinks that we need to increase the minimum wage for fast food workers to $15 an hour or more, or other workers to like $15 an hour or more, be careful what you wish for, because if it happens, you are going to see incredible unintended consequences. Here's what I noticed yesterday. Now, I have been going to racetracks Dog racing, horse racing. I've been going to racetracks since I was a young man. All right. And years ago, when you would go, for example, to the Arlington racetrack, what you would find when you went in there is you would find row after row of what we call racetrack riders, you know, the tellers. And people would go up to the windows and say, I want $10 on number four to win. And they would punch that out and they would give you the ticket. You would, you, you would see, I mean, rows and rows of these tellers. When I went yesterday, and, and I'm not kidding, on the second level at Arlington, there were two or three human beings that were actually like writing tickets and giving cash out. On the first floor, the main level, I saw one, two, three, maybe five, maybe five. And my guess is if I had been there 15 years ago, I would have seen, I don't know, 50 of them. But, but they were down to four or five. And maybe there were a couple more scattered around, but, but not many. So what's going on? Are fewer people betting? No. All the human beings have been replaced by these automated machines. You walk up to the machine, you put your ticket in, or you put cash in, and this screen comes out, and you place your own bets. 
and and that's that's just how it works. And they must have had they, they had probably they had hundreds of these automated machines. And I admit they're a little intimidating at first, but after you use them once or twice, you, you, you can figure it out. And so there were people, they weren't standing in line to go to the tellers. The only times I stood in line to go to the tellers is I actually had a pretty good day at the track yesterday. And so, you know, if you wanted to actually get cash, but otherwise, if you just wanted to place bets, you use the voucher, you use the cash, you are all set. And everybody adapted to it. And this was a huge Father's Day crowd. And my guess is that, you know, there were a lot of people at the track who, who maybe had never been before or maybe go once every couple of years. They were at these automated tellers. And, and after they used them once or twice, they got comfortable with them. There was no need for the human being to be there anymore. There just there just wasn't. And so all these people who had worked there, well, their, their jobs ended up gone. Now, I was thinking about this as the fast food industry. We always think about, you know, going through the drive through window and, and placing our order. I want the cheeseburger with fries, etc. Well, you know, it, it's not that hard to pull up to the drive through window and to punch a couple buttons. You don't need somebody necessarily taking your order. Or if you walk into the restaurant, you know, a kiosk, and these kiosks are relatively cheap. You can push the number. You can do that. Think about the banking industry. I mean, think about how we used to get cash not really that long ago. If you wanted cash, you would write a check. You would drive to the bank. You would walk into the lobby, and you'd give the check to the teller. Or alternatively, you'd go through the drive through window. Almost nobody does that anymore. You know, most people, what do they do? You've got the ATM card. You go to the ATM, and you can conduct pretty much any transaction you want to conduct. You can get cash up to a certain dollar amount. You can deposit things. You can do this. And that's why when you go into a lot of banks nowadays where there used to be teller window after teller window, they're not there anymore. Same thing is true in grocery stores. More and more grocery stores are moving to those automated checkout things. Now, I think people are still a little bit resistant to that. I think a lot of people still like to actually go to the checker and they don't want to bag their own things. But but I, I my prediction is a couple years from now, that's going to be changed as well. And maybe, yes, there's going to be a cashier, but it's going to be a cashier and a checkout line and everybody else is going to be using these automated checkout things. Because we adapt. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think as we become more comfortable with technology, whether it's placing bets at a racetrack or using the ATM in place of the cashiers at the bank or you know, ordering fast food from kiosks or any of these other type of situations. I think the reality is, you know, the need for people is disappearing faster and faster and faster. Are we going to adapt? Do you miss having to go in and see the teller? Do you miss having to go through the cashier line? Do you miss having to go up to the race rider and tell them what your bet is? 
or are we adapting? And as it costs more and more to, for example, hire the fast food worker, isn't it more and more likely that the way companies are going to respond by simply saying, fine, we're going to automate this? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm telling you, I was at the track yesterday. I have seen the future, and the future is machines. Are people demanding more money? Are they essentially just increasing the speed with what that future brings? 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please sit on. We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. By the way, if you want to see the Wagner family at Arlington Racetrack yesterday, you can follow me. It's at on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. I have a photo of us sitting where we were sitting. All right, Jeff, yesterday my husband and I went to a newly renovated McDonald's. There was one register and six self-serve kiosks. It was quick. It was easy. Right, so what you're able to do is instead of having three or four registers, You've got maybe one register, and you've got all these kiosks. Now, it doesn't completely eliminate people because you're still going to need somebody, for example, to pass out the food. But the people I know who own these restaurants, they say that you don't need anywhere near as many people. So, yeah, you might take somebody who used to be on the register, and instead of having three people, you've got one person that accumulates the food and and sends it out. I'm just saying that this – This is the wave of the future, and the more you pressure employers to raise starting salaries, the more likely you make it that they're going to automate instead. Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? Very well. Thank you, sir. I think, yeah, I think uh, I agree 100%. I think they're they're basically working themselves out of a job, number one. And number two, what really kind of is, is, I, I guess, kind of confusing is you get somebody that wants to, you know, 15 bucks to flip a burger that, you know, half the time they're not all that sharp and whatever, and yet you go to you get a two-year degree in bookkeeping or talk to a law clerk. Right. You know, they don't, what do they, they start off at, they're, they're lucky if they make 15 right. bucks an hour. Right. You know, that type of thing. And they went to school and they got student debt and things like that. So, I mean, it's just, it doesn't make sense. And all this does is just accelerate the whole process. It's really what it does. Well, it, it does, no, you're, you're exactly right. Like I say, I, I have several, I have, I have a couple friends who, who are, are in that industry, including, you know, people who own a bunch of restaurants. And you're always looking at ways to kind of cut costs and, you know, make a little bit of extra money, et cetera. Well, labor costs are one of the huge issues that any employer has. Plus, it's finding help. I mean, that's the other thing. It's it's not just a question of what do you pay people, but it's, you know, people are constantly quitting or they're not showing up or whatever. Well, okay, that self-service kiosk where you're going to order your food, that's, I mean, it might break down. All right, I, I get it. It might break down, but it, it's going to show up. It's going to be there 24-7, seven day, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, absent, you know, routine maintenance or whatever, you don't have to worry about training it or it leaving. And I'm just saying, and they're always doing these calculations. How much does it cost to put in the kiosk versus how much does it cost for the labor? What is the payback period? And as you increase it, and if you don't think that's happening, I mean, like I say, just go go down to Arlington Park Racetrack, and if you'd been there 15 years ago, you would have seen 50 tellers on a busy fi- uh, on a busy Father's Day 
I counted five or six on two floors. 414-799-1620. Jeff, I went to Miller Park, uh, McDonald's by Miller Park about a month ago. They have a kiosk in the store where you can order your food, pay for it, and then they make your order and call your number to pick it up. Right. So, I mean, think of the dynamic there. You, you don't need that person in the drive through window who's taking the order. You don't need, in that case, the cashier. You need that one person who's going to, you know, put together what your order is and say, okay, number 12, you know, come on over there. Um, that, that's the dynamic that you, you have. And I'm, I'm not encouraging this, but the truth of the matter is more and more of us have adapted to this over, over the years. And if you just look at all the things that we do nowadays, and I, maybe the best example is, is the ATMs. I mean, if, just think back not that long ago, how it was that we did our banking. And it, it was actually in the drive-through window or at the teller's thing. And now, well, I'm not going to say I never do that because that would not be true, but I would say that 75% of the transactions that I used to either do in the drive through window or do, you know, in the bank itself, 75% of those um, are, I, it's not, I just, I use the machines nowadays. Uh, Jeff, just a, uh, just at a well-known supermarket chain, standing in line buying over $100, store worker walking around says, you can use the self checker <laughs> um i replied i don't work here well well yeah i mean every time there's a there's a grocery store right across the street from where i live and and they they actively encourage people um they actively encourage people to you know go in and and use the self checker lines i mean that's what they're pushing people towards and i mean i i understand and now i think i think there's a factor i think so far I think there's a lot of us in the grocery stores that there's some resistance to the self-checkout thing, even though I see a number of people that do it. I mean, if I've got a shopping cart full of stuff, I'm not going to go through that. I don't want to bag all that. At the same time, I was in there the other day, and I I was buying – I had three items, you know, three items. And, and yeah, there was only out of seven lines, there was one or two that was open. And, yes, I – in those cases – you know, what I did was I, I went and it was three and I, you know, put in the information and it took cash. And, yeah, I, I used it in that case. Um, 414-799-1620. Um, let's see, Jeff, you and I both use the machines and the need for actual tellers is going down. I believe this trend is only going to speed up when the workforce demands become more and more ridiculous. Um, Jeff, I love the kiosk. As far as I'm concerned, I hope more of them begin implementing them. Less mistake with the orders. Better able to customize your order. Look, there, there's, there is a break-in period. You know, people have to get used to it. But just like at the track, once you get used to it, and you know, once you get over your initial, all right, where do I put the money? Oh, I, I'm at the track yesterday. There's a woman at the teller thing next to me, and she says, "Excuse me, sir." Um, where do where do I put the money in? Well, I, I said, oh, yeah. He says, I put it here and I put it there. And I said, no, you slide it in that slot. And she says, oh, where, where it says cash. And she puts it in. She says, oh, okay. I'm, and she is literally off to the races. Once you get past that initial discomfort, all right, you, you don't need the people. Now, I think it's unfortunate, but it's the reality. Jeremy and Racine. Jeremy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I love the kiosk concept. I love them even better when you can, uh, when they have an app function to go along with the kiosks that you can put in information and then use a QR code. Mm-hmm. 
in the trucking industry, they are starting to use these uh, type of devices at major um, intermodal hubs in Chicago area, BNSF and all that. It used to be like an army of people checking people in and punching in information. Now you can just go up there with an app, put in your information, scan a QR code, and you're you're through the lane in a matter of minutes. It, it right. used to take up to a half hour to an hour. Now you're in and out of that facility in, in half the time. It's far more efficient, and it's 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 just it's a lot of information at, the, at your fingertips to to get what you need done and out of there. Well, you know, let's give another airline example. How about airlines? I mean, nowadays, you know, people you you get your you don't you don't have to stand in line to get your to get your boarding passes and stuff. You know, you you can check in over the internet. You can download your boarding pass. You can you print it. You can have it on your phone. You get to the airport. You you don't need to. You know, in a lot of cases, you don't need to interact with those gate agents anymore. It's all set. Or if you do, you punch in the kiosk how many bags you have, and you just go up and you you know and you give it to them. It, it's it's just the way of the future, and I think people are starting to embrace that nowadays. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Now, thanks for now, which, which is it's again, it's as as we begin to embrace these things, and I'm not necessarily encouraging it. I'm just saying it is the reality. This is something that people need to keep in mind as they're saying, okay, well, you know, we want more money for this or we want more money for that. Just look at all the industries where technology has made people expendable. That's just kind of the reality. And the more money, especially if you want to artificially, if the job is worth 11, but you say, hey, you know, we want $15 an hour because that's a, that's a living wage. But even though the job is only worth 10 or $11 an hour objectively in the free market, okay, that, that's great. But all you're doing is pushing your employer further and further and faster and faster into making the decision to, hey, let, let's go automate it. Just saying. All right. When we come back, he was 16 years old. He did something really stupid. Should he be penalized for it? Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Don't be mad at Summerfest. They're doing what they had to do. It, it really, this, this date was kind of snake bit from the beginning. Um, originally, and this was announced a long time ago, July 4th, which is a week from, well, I guess what's two weeks from Thursday. Boy, is that sneaking up. July 4th, two weeks, two weeks from Thursday. Summerfest starts a week from Wednesday. So Summerfest kicks off Thursday, July 4th. The original headliner at the main stage, and this was announced a long time ago, was going to be Ozzy Osbourne. But Ozzy Osbourne fell, and my guess is Ozzy Osbourne probably falls a lot, but Ozzy fell, and so they, they canceled the entire tour. Now, Megadeth was going to be the Ozzy Osbourne opener. So, okay, they, they canceled the shows. So what happened was Summerfest said, okay, what we'll do is we'll bump Megadeth up, the group, and we'll have them headline the July 4th show, and we'll we'll fill in with a couple other you know bands b- before that. And so, okay, I mean, that, that was an easy thing, and it was an easy fix. It made sense. Megadeth is extremely popular as well. Well, the announcement, I guess, late last week, the lead singer for Megadeth, he announces that he's been diagnosed with throat cancer. And so Megadeth has now canceled their, their entire tour while he seeks treatment. So here you are, you know, two weeks plus 
away from a major amphitheater show. You lost the Ozzy Osbourne thing because of injury. Megadeth is now canceled. You know, what do you end up doing? And, I mean, I think Summerfest went through the, these kind of machinations. They said, well, okay, here, here's the bottom line. You know, we're talking about a big amphitheater, and it's two and a half weeks beforehand, and so I, I, don't, I don't think there's any acts out there that you could bring in and market, you know, two weeks ahead of time. First of all, are there any acts that are still out there that want to be playing on July 4th that are, aren't already booked? And my guess is the answer is probably no. So that's it, number one. Number two is even if you could find an act, how do you turn around and market the thing, you know, quickly enough to sell, the, you know, tickets? Um, what do you do? Do you say, okay, do we have somebody that's playing on one of the side stages? Do we try to, like, bump them up? But but then what does that do to the side stage? How do you sell tickets? So in any event, I think Summerfest did what is, to me, the only logical thing is they said, okay, well, July 4th, we're going dark. And so at least at the at the American Family Amphitheater, no show that night, which is not a great outcome, but it's probably the outcome that ends up making the most sense under all the circumstances. So if you're wondering why, why is there no show on the 4th of July, it's not because Summerfest didn't work really hard. It's just because sometimes, what do we say, stuff happens. And in the case of the July 4th date this year, stuff does happen. The one probably saving grace is typically July 4th, tends to be one of the lower attendance days, even though this year it falls on a Thursday, which is, you know, historically a big attendance day. But July 4th, lots of people are off doing all sorts of things. People are at their community fireworks. They're having their picnics, etc. So I guess it could have happened on a worse day. But Summerfest can't criticize them for this. I think they're doing the right thing. Okay, I am fascinated by your reaction to this story. My take on it is... He was 16. He was stupid. He shouldn't continue to be punished. Here's the deal. If you will recall, February of of last year, you had the shooting in Parkland, Florida. Um, this was at what Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. You had 17 people that were killed and another 14 who were wounded. After that shooting... You had a number of the survivors who, who look, I, I think they have, I don't want to be too tough on the kids because I, I think they have the right to their different positions. But you had a number of the kids who decided in the wake of that tragedy that they were going to go public with calls for gun control and things like that. And, and some of those kids have been very, very militant about it, and they've gotten criticized, and then the people who criticized them have been criticized. In any event, you, you, you had a lot of that going on. On the flip side, one of the kids who kind of took the alternate position, his name was Kyle Kashov, and you, you perhaps – you know, seeing him, he he um, has been a vocally pro-gun survivor of the shooting. And he uh, you know, appeared at, at various pro-gun rallies, and I, I think he was at an NRA thing as well. He's gotten a lot of attention, and, he's, uh, and a lot of that attention 
again, because he's taken the pro-gun perspective, he's been very, very harshly criticized, especially from the left. It's like, okay, how how can anybody, the kids that are, you know, the gun control people, well, you, you can't criticize them at all, but this kid who's on the other side of the issue, oh, he's just terrible, he's just terrible, he's just terrible. Okay, so the deal was he graduated, and he took a year off um, to do a variety of things. He'd been accept really smart kid. He'd been accepted at Harvard, right? So he's going to, he was going to be enrolling in Harvard next year. Well, there's been a number of people who've, again, been unhappy with Kyle. And so they've been scouring, you know, his background and all. And it turns out, this story, it, it surfaced a couple weeks ago. It turns out that before the 2018 shooting, so this is before February of 2018, um, they found a Google document that he had shared with classmates where he repeatedly wrote the N-word, all right? And then in another message, he called black student athletes, and he used the N-word together with the word jocks, all right? So he's used some of this offensive language. Okay, he's 16 years old at, at the time. Really smart kid. Did really well, gone on to Harvard. He's going on, he's been accepted at Harvard. So somebody looking into this kid's background a few weeks ago finds some of these posts. Did you see what this pro-gun kid said in 2017 or whatever? No, he's 16 years old at the time. These posts surface. The kid immediately, he doesn't try to disown them. He immediately goes out. He apologizes for him. Yes, I said this. It was stupid. I was clowning around. Um, you know, this wasn't for public consumption. I had no idea that my life was going to be on display in this fashion. I had no idea this was going to be shooting. I truly regret it. I was 16 years old, and I was stupid doing this. Okay, so that's it. Well, the left starts pressuring Harvard to withdraw his admission. All right, toss the kid out. Don't let him in. And the breaking news today is that that is precisely what has happened. Harvard University, after finding out what this young man wrote in 2017 when he was 16 years old, has pulled his admission, citing concerns about his maturity and his moral character. So um, here's what he says. Three months after being admitted to the Harvard class of 2023, Harvard has decided to rescind my admission over texts and comments I made nearly two years ago, months prior to the shooting. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. He acknowledged what he said. He apologized for it. I think Harvard is dead wrong for pulling his admission. And I wonder if... There is a double standard. For example, I wonder if you had somebody who was on the left who said something that was the equivalent of what this kid did, whether he would not get into school. He was 16 when he said it. He's acknowledged it. He's apologized for it. Should he not be able to go to college? 414-799-1620, at least at a prestigious Ivy League school. And one of the things the kid says is, hey, you know, after I... After I got accepted at Harvard, I turned down huge scholarships at other schools in favor of this. I don't know what I do now. 414-799-1620, was Harvard right to rescind his admission? My answer would be no. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner.
Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, and let me tell you why this is scary. If you are a parent or a grandparent of some high school student now who's out there on the Internet, who at the age of 14 or 15 is exchanging messages with some friend of theirs or whatever and writes stuff that they never intend to be public. All right. This is a communication between two people. And then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, somebody decides to make it public. Now you have this standard where if you have the 15 or 16 year old kid that's used inappropriate language, and I'm not this, in no way in shape or form, I'm defending this language, but you write this, okay, you got a couple emails where you use the N word and he shouldn't have done it. He's acknowledged he shouldn't have done it. He's apologized for it. But now, because somebody said, well, why are you bringing politics into this? Because he was targeted. What happened is you had all these left-wing bloggers that decided, let's go after this kid because how, how dare he come out on the quote-unquote pro-gun side and let's look into his background. And, oh, look, we found some old Google document from 2017 when he was 16 years old and he used the N-word and let's publicize this and then let's start an Internet campaign to encourage Harvard to rescind his admission. And Harvard, of course, says, yes, we're we're going to do it now. I, I number one, I think that that's I think it's wrong. Number two, I think it is scary because now for any of you out there who again have kids who might be on the internet and might be exchanging a message back and forth and who put an inappropriate word or an inappropriate thought in there, all right, you got to realize that if that becomes public now, that could cost them an admission into, in this case, an Ivy League school. Here's some text. Jeff, Harvard was wrong. I wonder how many other students they've denied admission for the same reason. Well, my guess is not too many, but I guess the, the question becomes, is this the new witch hunt now? For everybody that applies for admission, are the schools going to start doing extensive background searches Let's look at everything the 16th. Let's look at everything a kid has written, you know, all the different messages, all the Instagram stuff that they've written when they're 14 or 15 or 16 years old. And is there anything inappropriate that might demonstrate immaturity or lack of moral character? Um, let's see, Jeff. I'm almost certain Harvard would use a double standard if they found out some student on the left was making inflammatory statements against Christians. Then there would be no. No problem. Well, um, all right, perhaps. Jeff, this is from Doug in Kenosha. I can see a lawsuit pending against Harvard as he said he would turn down other scholarships. Yeah, now, Harvard, for their rights, says... Um, Harvard says that, well, we have the, you know, we have the right to rescind, rescind applications. Let's talk to Jay in Hartford. Jay, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, I think they did exactly what they were supposed to do. And this is where I come... come uh, this is where I'm thinking... Okay, so once he took that stance as far as telling the world and everyone else uh, that he was pro-gun, pro that that opened up the doors to criticism because he's actually showing his political stance as far as him being pro-gun. So if you're going to do that, then you know the left and you know the world is going to, especially the left is going to come at you to dig up dirt on you. So he kind of actually put his foot in his mouth when he when he did that. And I think that if Harvard knew that he put those uh, comments out there on the internet or, you know, uh, on the blog or whatever, I don't think they would have accepted him in the first place. The thing is this, 
you as in today's world with so much social media going is going on, you have to decide what you're going to put out there because it's easy to dig up someone's background of the post that you put out there uh, okay. on the internet. Okay, Jay. So let me let me ask you this: <laughs> Is this now the new standard that any time a kid applies for college, that now we have to or we should? do a complete search of their social media background. And if we find that at the age of 15, they did a Snapchat where they said an inappropriate word or expressed a offensive comment, that should be a basis to deny them a higher education at the University of Wisconsin or Marquette or Harvard or Yale or anything. I mean, is that really the standard we want? No, but I, no, I, I, def- I definitely disagree. But what I'm saying is, if you put yourself out there in today's world, it's going to come back. I, but I think what Harvard did, I think that if they would have known about that, with, with in today's world, I don't, I don't, I don't think they should have. It, it's kind of hard to explain. It's like a slippery slope. Well, the I guess. About, well, I mean, James, Jay, thank, I mean, see that that's my concern. It is a, it, it is a, a slippery slope. And I understand what you're saying. You're saying by this guy choosing to be vocal. And coming down on, on a side that is politically correct, he invited people to look at his background, and he should have remembered, hey, gee, back in December of 2017, when I was writing Melissa a note, I used some inappropriate language. Okay. I mean, really? I mean, we're talking about 16-year-old kids here. But, I mean, I, I see that I think I find this to be extremely scary because, all right, does that then mean, for example, that – um, you had the, the other kids from, from Parkland who were um, very who used that shooting, and they were all over TV and stuff talking about how this, you need gun control and all these sort of things. Does that make them fair game? I mean, for example, you know, should does that mean that they put themselves in the public profile so everything that they wrote on Snapchat or Instagram or or Google Docs or anything they ever said, we should now scrutinize it, and if we find something inappropriate in that, whether it's uh, I don't know, something that's misogynistic or homophobic or racist or whatever that they wrote when they were 14 or 15 or 16, that that's now a basis to say to them, no, you, you can't get into college. I guess that, see, that's the slippery slope that I find to be scary about this entire thing. And, and I will say this, I, I, you will never convince me that if somebody tried to do a similar background check on the 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 you know pro gun control kids you would have this denounced by the left oh this is the new mccarthyism and all that type of stuff how dare you try to you know hold this against these kids but because it's the other side now it's sort of fair game and by the way this started by a number of left-wing bloggers who were out to get this kid. And, and yes, you're right, Jay. He gave him the, I, I guess he, he hung himself by stuff that he had written a couple years ago, but he's he's 15 or 16 years old. This, to an extent, reminds me in a way of, the controversy with the, the the Brewers, you know, pitcher, um, you know, last year it surfaces that, you know, when he's in high school, he writes some really, really stupid things that end up, you know, it, it comes forward. OK, they're kids. I mean, they're kids. They write stupid things. They say stupid things. Does that mean now that in 2019 standards, that's going to cost you your ability to get admitted into college, especially when you fess up to it, acknowledge it, and apologize for it. Slippery, slippery slope. This is Jeff Wagner.
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back. Let's read the tea leaves. Is 2020 going to be an electoral debacle for the Republicans? And do Republicans need to be worried? All right, here, here's the deal. Uh, tomorrow... In Orlando, Florida, President Trump is scheduled to have one of those big campaign-style rallies, and he's going to announce, apparently, that he is running for re-election. He's already saying, oh, this is going to be the greatest rally ever. We've got 100,000 people who've requested tickets, and apparently there's there's people that are lined up today to get into the rally. So it's going to be the, this huge event. All right, this comes on the news that President Trump has, has apparently fired a number of his campaign pollsters after it came out that this internal camp poll that he did a couple months ago, it was leaked to the media. So I, I don't know if he fired him because he didn't like what was in the polls or if he fired him because he thinks somebody was responsible for leaking. But I, I will tell you this from some as a perspective of somebody who ran for office on one occasion – one and only occasion. Uh, the, the there's there's two kind of polls that are out there. There's the polls that the the newspapers do. There's the polls that the TV stations do, and those are kind of horse race polls. You can take them or you can leave them. They're they're done to generate you know a news story. Then there's the internal campaign polls, and these are a completely different animal, because if you are running for office. You need accurate information. Again, when it's a public poll, it's done. The pollsters want to be right, you know, because because they don't want to have people like me mocking them when they turn up out to be wrong. But but they're they're just doing it, and they, then they always explain it. Yeah, we got it wrong, but it was just a snapshot or something happened. But for a candidate, you got to know where you stand. And that's why the internal polls are always so important. It's why the internal polls typically cost a lot more money, because the, the whole key – to trying to identify and for a poll being accurate is, first of all, you have to have people that are going to be honest with the poll, and secondly, you have to winnow out um, who is a likely voter. And I've explained this before, but what happens a lot of times, you call somebody up on the phone, and you say, are you likely to vote? And almost everybody says, I'm likely to vote, because you don't want to sound dumb and say, well, no, I'm not going to vote. So everybody says they're likely to vote. But the problem is, we, we know that not everybody who says they're likely to vote votes. So what you have to do is you have to figure out of that universe of people that say that they're going to vote, who is it that's really most likely to vote? And the way you do this is by asking follow-up questions. You'll ask things like, okay, you say you're likely to vote. Who did you, in the presidential election in 2020, who did you vote for in 2016? All right. Who did you vote for in 2012? Who did you vote for in 2008? And, and by asking these questions, if they say, oh, I, I didn't I didn't vote. I'm 45 years old and I didn't vote for president in 2016 and I didn't vote in 2012. Well, oh, OK, it's they might vote in, in 2020, 
But if you have somebody who's, for example, never voted before in their life, well, all right, they're less likely to vote than that person that's voted in every single election, you know, for the last 10 years. But to ask those questions, the way it works with pollsters is campaigns pay per question. They charge per question you ask people. So to to really dig down and find out who that likely voter is, you've got to ask a series of questions. And a lot of the NBC, ABC, CBS, Fox News polls, they don't dig down like that. Are you likely to vote? Yes. Okay, we're going to count you as a likely voter. Well, all right, the only way to really know that is by asking a whole series of other questions, but they don't want to spend the money to do it. So that's why sometimes you get the split between the public polls and the, the internal polls. But for a candidate, all right, you you got to know that. And that's why a lot of the campaigns, they'll get polls that say, all right, among the 40% of the people who, who we know are, are going to vote, you know, they're going to vote, this is where your numbers stand. And then if the turnout is 50%, this is where your numbers stand. And that's where you get a lot of the accuracy. So anyhow, President Trump campi- you know, commissions a state-by-state poll because when you see these national polls, don't pay attention to them. As we know, this we don't elect a president by the popular vote. We elect a president based on the electoral college. And you really have to focus on state by state. Doesn't matter if in the general election, you know, you see Joe Biden with 53% of the vote and Donald Trump with 43% of the vote and a few percent undecided. That doesn't matter. What matters is how is your candidate doing in the key states? And the, the Trump internal polling of a lot of the key states shows that at least, you know, as of the time of this poll, he was getting whomped by Joe Biden down. And this is the Trump internal polls that were leaked down in double digits in Wisconsin that he won in 2016, down in double digits in Pennsylvania that he won in 2016, down in double digits in Florida that he won in 2016, and down in Michigan by double digits that he won in 2016. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. I I don't, you cannot, President Trump does not get reelected if he doesn't, well, carry, I guess you could, theoretically, you could lose Wisconsin if you carried Pennsylvania, Florida, and Michigan. But you you lose those states, and and you're not going to win. That, that's just the reality. You're not going to win. A Republican right now is not going to win New York, not going to win uh, California. There's all sorts of states that they're not going to win. You start losing these, and you're in trouble. I was looking at a poll that came out yesterday, head-in-head head with Biden in North Carolina. You need to win North Carolina. He's got to win the states that he won before. And his internal polls show that he's behind by double digits. So he's upset that this has all gotten out. These internal polls appear to be consistent with a lot of the public polling that's out there. And you look at this, and I think, objectively speaking, you sit there and at least I say, this is shaping up to be, at least at this point, and again, we're, we're a ways away from the election, this is shaping up, unless the Democrats do something stupid, like, I don't know, nominating someone like Bernie Sanders that scares the heck out of the American public, this this is shaping up as an electoral debacle in 2020. I was talking to a couple people over the weekend about this, and the response I got was, well, you don't understand. We love President Trump. 
Our friends love President Trump. And keep in mind, the polls were wrong in 2016. And yes, the polls were wrong in 2016. 414-799-1620. That is the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How concerned should Republicans be about where Donald Trump stands in this polling? Apparently, internal polls and then the, the external polls. How concerned should Republicans be? Is this shaping up as an electoral debacle, or is he going to prove everybody wrong, just like he proved people wrong in 2016? 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will be honest with you. I don't see how you can look at these numbers and not be concerned if you are a supporter of President Trump. What do you think? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should we just, should the polls just be ignored because they were wrong in 2016 and to an extent they were wrong in 2014? They rebounded in 2018 a little bit. But, you know, does Donald Trump defy the polls? 414-799-1620. My answer would be, if I'm a Republican candidate, I got to be figuring out what I'm going to do because I don't know how President Trump turns it around. And I think you have to appreciate that he's in trouble in a lot of these key states. All right. Am I overstating a concern? 414-799-1620. And yes, you don't have to text me and tell me, Jeff, you didn't think he was going to win in 2016. No, I, I'm with that wide variety of people, including, I think, a lot of people in the Trump campaign that didn't think he was going to win in 2016. 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. One of the stories that's out there says that President Trump is apparently madder that a number of these bad poll numbers leaked than the fact that he has bad poll numbers. Now, unless you're going to com- com- simply say, well, I'm going to ignore the polls, they don't matter, uh, I think Republicans need to be worried about what it means for Trump's reelection efforts, but also what it's going to do to people running for the Senate or for Congress, especially if the Democrats don't do anything stupid, and by that I mean don't nominate some socialist or some crazy lefty, but go with somebody more mainstream. Dan in Milwaukee. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Dan. Uh, hey, how you doing? Hi, Dan. What do you think? This is what I think. I think the Republicans should be really worried because people voted for Hillary, people voted for Donald Trump as Hillary Clinton was a flawed candidate. We yep. know that. But I think people need to look what's happening, and they need to, to seriously look inside uh, this administration is terrible for our interests here in Wisconsin. I mean, look at soybean prices, multi-year low. Corn prices, multi-year low. Dairy farm failures are moving along at an alarming pace. And this administration is in conflict with countries all around the world. We should not be in conflict with countries. We should be selling them soybeans. We should be selling them corn. We should be selling them dairy products. So that's well, my comment. No, thank you. Well, I mean, the, the tr- I mean, I see, I... Look, I I agree with you to an extent about what you said about the the results of the 2016 election. I I think what happened is President Trump won because Donald Trump won because he wasn't Hillary Clinton. I think that there's a lot of people who Hillary Clinton, I agree with you, an incredibly flawed candidate who took the election in many respects as a coronation. And the fact of the matter is she was not inspiring. And I think a lot of people just decided it was inevitable or they didn't like Hillary and they just stayed home. And that allowed Donald Trump to put the the coalition that won. That's not the dynamic that's going to be going on in 2020. Everybody has an opinion about Donald Trump. And in 2018, 
Just ask Scott Walker this. I mean, you saw this rush to the polls. You saw every Democrat and their brother and sister come out to to vote for in this in Wisconsin it was Tony Evers, not because I think people thought Tony Evers was a great candidate, but it's because we wanted to they wanted to stick it to Donald Trump and let's vote against anybody that's got an R on their name. And I guess I just I, I think it's naive to say that you don't need to be concerned about these poll numbers. Now, what do you do about them? That's the thing I don't know. Because I don't know how, after the last couple years, fair or unfair, I don't know how you turn them around. But honestly, I mean, I think that's the question that Republicans need to start asking themselves, which is, okay, how are, how's he going to win Wisconsin again? How's he going to win Michigan again? How's he going to win Florida again? How's he going to win North Carolina? How's he going to win Pennsylvania? Because if, if the whole response is just, well, I don't believe the polls, all right, be prepared for a huge shock come, you know, the day after the election a year from November. 414-799-1620. Jeremy and Racine. Hi, Jeremy. Hi, thank you for taking my call again. Sure. Um, I think the, the right has a lot to worry about here. Every time President Trump gets on, on, on the newscast and he does an interview, he says some really off-the-wall things that he shouldn't be saying as a politician in public. And a lot of the people who are going to be running in 2020, they're going to have to start distancing themselves now uh, because he he can be toxic once he starts going off, off his... Uh, the speed of path that he needs to be talking about. I mean, even just listening to him about the Iran incident, I mean, he's just going off the top of his head. He doesn't even prepare a statement on something that on a scale that serious. It's just it's alarming. So well, I think they really need to to worry about it. Well, I mean, th- thanks for. Call. I mean, I okay. So last week the story was the president sits down and he talks to George Stephanopoulos. Why he decides that that's the guy he's going to talk to. I don't know. But he sits down and talks to George Stephanopoulos. And then I, I think Stephanopoulos was playing gotcha, but it was a foreseeable thing. And so for two or three days, the story is how he says, hey, if a foreign government came to me with dirt on my opponent, you bet I'd listen. Nobody calls the FBI. And collectively among Republican office holders, there is this massive eye roll because then everybody is calling them up saying, oh, well, you know, there's this law here. What do you think about what the president said? And they're trying to run for the hills. And ultimately, the president has to back backtrack it is stuff like that that i think gets in in the way and i guess that's that's not going to stop but the reality is too look i understand there's a lot of people that love donald trump you look at this rally that's going to be there tomorrow night down in orlando and it's going to be packed and people are going to be cheering and they're going to eat up all this type of stuff and i appreciate that so you've got you've got that 30 or 35 percent of the american public who just absolutely will run through a brick wall to support him the problem is that doesn't get you elected mark in heartland mark you're on wtmj hello um hey scott uh, great topic again uh, without tipping too many particulars um i worked for the local republican party for close to 20 years now as a volunteer and we've seen including polls on scott walker in the recall election we've seen those internal polls just say woe is me doom is gloom He's had it. He's getting recalled. It didn't happen. We, I remember you talking about um, Senator Johnson several times, re-elections. The poll said, that's it. He's had it. Mm-hmm. Not re-elected. Yep. If, so, if, you believe, if you believe the Marquette Law School poll, um, Ron Johnson loses to Russ Feingold both times. Yep. You look at the ones in, and, and um, there were only a chosen few of us, and that's not patting ourselves on the back. They're, they're, 
there were only three or four prognosticators out here nationally that thought Donald Trump would win. Um, Mike Huckabee, um, Rudy Giuliani, a couple of very few chosen others, and those polls were just totally wrong. So do you think we just ignore it? I mean, it, so you just you just completely discount all this stuff that's out there. What I look at, Jeff, is is I look at turnout, rally show-ups, mm-hmm. that type of thing. This guy is... I've never seen rallies that big, and I was to that one in central Wisconsin right. um, last year. You aren't seeing that for the other candidates. If they have a national name or not, like Joe Biden, you just don't see that. So people can throw the chaff into the wind and try and confuse people with all these polls. It's turning out just almost as often they're turning out to be wrong as they're turning out to be right. Well, th- thanks for call, Mark. And I, I guess some people can take heart to that. I, I mean, I will... I will point to 2018 as an example where the, the polls pretty much, you know, nailed it. And, uh, I, I guess I just think, I think the idea that, all right, we're just going to stick our heads in the sand and we're going to pretend that, that these are wrong because they, they didn't get it in 2016. I think that's a very, very dangerous strategy. Uh, again, because I think 2016 was a very, very different year than 2020. Now, I, I admit, I don't know what the answer is, because I, at various points in time, I thought maybe Donald Trump was going to declare victory and go home. Hey, I, I've, 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 I've drained the swamp. I've accomplished all this stuff. And now I, I just, I don't need this aggravation anymore. I'm going to declare victory. The presidency has been a success. And, and so now I'm going to leave the country. I've made America great again. I'm going to leave the country in better hands than it was when I took over and then go fly around the world and play golf and things like that. I, I thought maybe that was going to be an option, a one-term president. Doesn't sound like that's the case. Sounds like he's kind of hunkered in and he's going to run again. I'm just saying, and it, a lot can happen, and a lot does depend, I think, on who the Democrats nominate. But I guess I just you look at this stuff, and if you're not concerned, I think it's, again, I think it's naive. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, Drew, you were coming back from a wedding, and you were you, you just wanted to sleep the whole way back. It was a long drive back from Green Bay. Yeah, and that's exactly what my girlfriend did, just sleep the entire way. It is funny you should mention that, because um, yesterday we, we go down to, to Arlington, to the racetrack for Father's Day, and it's... It's my wife and I, and it's my brother, Scott, and it's my niece and nephew, Sydney and Alex. Well, that was another long day as well. Now, I had a long day on Saturday, so I'm kind of tired, too, but I'm driving. We're in my car. And so on the way back, um, actually, my wife took a picture that she put up on her Facebook account. My brother, my niece, and my nephew, they are just zonked out in the back seat. It is a classic Wagner family photo. It's, it's kind of like, all right, I, she, Fran's like, hey, look around, turn around, look at this. And they're just all, Sydney, and now it, my niece, she was in Thailand for two weeks doing this college volunteer thing. It was actually kind of cool, but she'd been up for 36 hours. She fly from Thailand to Hong Kong, Hong Kong to LAX, LAX to Dallas, Dallas to Milwaukee. So in her defense, and she's a sleeper anyway. She she had just she had gotten back Saturday from like two weeks in Thailand and thirty six hours of, of travel. So I get that. My nephew he's asleep. My brother he's asleep. I mean it's kind of the back seat. They're all conked out. I'm thinking, well, 
good thing that I'm driving or else it would get ugly. So you you can relate to that. Yeah, the whole like hour and a half, Kaylee was just out like a light, and I had to drive in silence and pray for death. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the that's the all that's where you like turn the radio up and crank it up to keep keep you awake and things like that. But it it's all it's all fun. All right. Uh, last weekend in Chicago was the start of a pilot project. The electric scooters are back. Everybody, you probably know what the electric scooters are now. There's a number of different companies that make these. And and we, we had this play out in Milwaukee last summer, and I'll, I'll get into that in just a minute. But the way it works in Chicago, there's there's now like 10 different vendors Bird scooter B I R D. That that's the that's the big one. But you have all these different vendors, and they've now cut a deal with the city of Chicago, where they will be placing their scooters all over the city. What happens is you download an app on your smartphone. If you want to ride one of these scooters, it tells you where a, the nearest scooter is. You go to that location. You you get the scooter, which could be at, on a sidewalk. You know up up against a parking meter or against the side of the building, whatever, and what you do is you then uh, do something on your phone that unlocks the particular scooter, and then you ride the scooter um, most of them in chicago it 's a buck to unlock the scooter, and then it 's like fifteen cents per minute of use. And so then you can you can, you can use the scooter and you can use it if you want to go up and down the lakefront or if you let's say if say this was Milwaukee you're you're on Wisconsin Avenue and you want to take it up to Marquette or you're at Marquette and you want to take one of these electric scooters and go down to the lakefront you you can do that and then once you're done you just leave it you know and you sign out of the app and then so the next person comes along now you will find these in Chicago, effective last weekend, as part of a four-month pilot project. In Wisconsin, Bird Scooter dumped a bunch of these scooters in the city last year, and it was against the law for a variety of reasons. But it starts with the basic problem that under Wisconsin state law, these these scooters can't be operated on on roadways. Um, they're they're just they're treated as unlicensed vehicles, right? So you you can't use them on roadways. That's the problem. The state senate has just passed legislation which essentially treats them now as bicycles. It removes that obstacle. So theoretically, what could happen? Now, first of all, the assembly has to act on this, and the governor then has to sign it into law. But if that were to happen, if you would remove the state law that bars their use, then any of these different vendors could cut a deal with the city of Milwaukee or any other city around here to say, okay, we're going to have these scooters, and you can do something similar to Chicago, and the, the city gets a cut of the revenue. All right, our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Bottom line behind this is is nothing in Wisconsin can happen until and unless the state changes the law to allow these things to be operated on the street, right? Because right now, and no no city, doesn't matter. If the city of Milwaukee wants these things, doesn't matter because they can't sign an agreement because it's against the law. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do we and should we want to see these scooters on the streets? Does it make sense to continue to ban them 
or should we embrace this moving forward? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we'll discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. But I guess the bottom line, it's not going to happen in time for this year's Summerfest. But, you know, would you like to be able to, I don't know, go down to the lakefront on a warm summer afternoon, if we ever get any warm summer afternoons, and pick one of these things up and be able to use your you know electric motor scooter to go up and down the lakefront or use it to go from, I don't know, the bus depot down to the Summerfest grounds. Should we look at legalizing these? 414-799-1620. Gru is lining up the calls. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, very glad to have you with us. Let's start with Howie in Whitewater. Howie, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. What do you think about these bird scooters, or, or I guess electric scooters? Bird is just one of the companies, probably the biggest. Well, when you, when you talk about bird, um, I just came back from uh, San Diego. Mm-hmm. My uh, youngest son is in the Navy, and uh, he deployed to Guam here about a little over a week ago. And we were out there for a week, and I was blown away on how many of those bird scooters are around San Diego. There were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. And it seemed, the majority of the time, it seemed that they were all well. I mean, I don't think there was anything wrong with them. Right. Um, every now and then you get one person you know, uh, that would come whizzing by you that maybe shouldn't have been going as fast. But otherwise, they seem to be safe. Yeah, well, I mean, and plus there, there's stuff that... You know, they're they're an alternative form of transportation to bicycles and to, you know, to Uber and to things like that or roller skates or whatever. And I I mean, I I think that there's certainly a demand for them, maybe not by me, but I think there's probably a lot of people out there that like to ride them. Yeah, it's funny because you would you would just drive down any of the major roads and these things would be just laying alongside the road. You come along and bring out your credit card and scuff it and swipe it and go. Yeah. Now, thanks for call, Howard. Now, I do, I, I do. That's one of the biggest concerns, and the devil is kind of in the detail. The the business model that like the bird scooters have is that you ride them to wherever you want, and then you just drop them off, and then you know, then somebody you know checks out where the nearest one is. Some of the cities have become concerned about that that drop off thing you know do they do they clutter up the sidewalks are they a nuisance you know where are people leaving them so you you might again the devil is in the details you might want to play around with that i i don't know if a model like the 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 the, the bubbler bikes whether that works you know where you have to you ride them from one location to another i i don't know how that works i also know that one of the problems the scooter people are having is that, that people beat on these more than they thought. The the life expectancy of these scooters was supposed to be X weeks, and it, it's like X minus three weeks. So that that's one of the things that's questioning the financial viability. So I do appreciate that the devil's in the details, but it seems to me this is something that people want to do. And can you have a problem? Sure. sure. I mean, somebody can get one of these things going too fast and, and boom, you know, they can create a problem. But you could say that about bicycles. I guess you could say that about e-bikes. You could say it about pretty much anything. Bob in Burlington. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. How Hi, are you doing? I'm good. What do you think? Well, my wife and I were just in Paris about a month and a half ago, and uh, we spent quite a bit of time walking around there. We actually took a motorcycle tour one day. But the problem that we had, especially walking, 
was these, these scooters were everywhere. They would block the sidewalks. People just dropped them wherever. Yeah. And you sometimes you have to walk out into the street just to get around because all these scooters were piled in a, in a pile. Yeah. Uh, and we also had some folks tell us, local folks tell us that since the scooters have come into Paris, their emergency services have been way overtaxed because of accidents. Hmm. Because people don't know how to use them. They run into curbs. Right. Uh, they fall off and break their ankles, stuff like that. Absolutely. Sure. While we were on our motorcycle tour for about an hour, we saw two where there were emergency services. People had crashed scooters. Yeah. We, saw, we actually saw two of them. Yeah, and I don't think, that, I mean, there's no requirement that you, I don't believe there's a requirement that you wear a helmet when you're operating these things, and no, there's no requirement no. that you have a driver's license or anything like that, yeah. No, nothing at all. It's it's like mosquitoes on a <laughs> on a warm Wisconsin evening about 8.30. <laughs> you know? uh, well, Bob, th- I mean, th- see, and I think these are valid concerns, and I do, I, I do think the, the idea, at le- least to me, I mean, look, I, I guess it's it's sort of like, it's sort of like anything. I, I think there's kind of a learning curve, and my guess is you're right that especially in, in the beginning there might be somebody that falls off the things, and you have to call the the ambulance and all. My guess is that kind of works itself out. That would just be my guess. I do think the idea, as part of the business model, of just hey, I'm I'm going to take this for five blocks or whatever, and then I'm just going to drop it and dump it off, and I'm going to leave it in the sidewalks or whatever. I think that's a valid concern because, again, to your point, you don't want to be walking over you know, five of these piled up just laying on the sidewalk and you got to walk over and we've got to walk into traffic so it becomes a hazard. I think that's a valid concern. At the same time, it does strike me that maybe that's something that you can deal with when you're working out the logistics of, of the deal with whatever the scooter company is. And maybe, I, again, I don't know if it completely and totally defeats the business model if you have stations all across the area where, okay, this is this is where you park one. Just like, again, you, you have the rental bikes. You don't see the rental bikes. They don't just get dropped off in the middle of a sidewalk or somewhere. I guess all in all, I think this is an experiment that the, the city, I think, should certainly look into. I think it's a fun alternate way of transportation. You know, you're not going to be doing this in November or December or January or February or March or April, or maybe you're not going to be doing it a lot this June. But I think during the summer, especially in a defined area like downtown or along the lakefront, I, I think – you know, th- this has the potential to, number one, generate some revenue, but number two, to, to be a bit of fun. And I could see a lot of people, like I say, here, if, if you've got it, it's down at the lakefront. You know, maybe maybe it's not practical to have these things, you know, you know, way out in different parts of the city. But down at the lakefront in a confined area, I could certainly see a number of people say, hey, you know, we're going to do this. We're going to try this out. We're going to use it as an opportunity to go from Bradford Beach down to the Summerfest grounds. And you've got those paths there. I, I think... I guess I look at this and think it's something that's worth trying, especially on a limited basis in a limited area, to see how it works out. Because even though it's probably not for me, I can see a lot of people that would say, hey, this would be a lot of fun. So why not? Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Okay, I have been waiting all day to discuss this with you. Here is my question. Is this a legitimate concern or just a cheap shot? All right, the 
again, as I've been saying for the last couple of days, why President Trump decided to sit down with George Stephanopoulos and do some lengthy interview is absolutely beyond me. This is Stephanopoulos of Bill and Hillary Clinton fame. What do you think good is going to come out of this? But he decides he's going to do that. And then you get a lot of the controversy. You get the, you know, Trump saying, yeah, of course, if a foreign government came to me with dirt, I'd, I'd take it, despite what the law might say. You know, we talked about that. But here's the other thing that is getting all this attention. It's the cough. Gru, have you been following the story about the cough. Yeah, I saw it, uh, saw it earlier. All right. Now, let me kind of back into the cough. And I want to give you my perspective just on, on coughing in general. As somebody who uses their voice a lot, makes his living three hours talking into a microphone every day, as time has gone on, my voice occasionally gets a little bit raw. And also, when it's really, really dry, it gets even worse. So, I mean, I'm, I'm drinking water all the time. And then, like today, you know, we were outside on yesterday and the day before that. I've got a little nose thing going on, so there's a little bit nasal stuff. But I have to admit, I I will cough. Now, here at the station, you've got a cough button. But, I mean, I will cough from time to time. I'm not talking about, like, hacking uncontrollable coughs. But I, I have a bit of a cough, and it's because I think just of the way I use my voice. So I always try to be sensitive to these things. But but I'm a cougher from time to time. It's not a cigarette smoker's cough. It's just a you use your voice a lot and the weather gets dry. So I'm, I'm sensitive to this particular thing. So here's the story if you haven't followed it. President Trump is doing this interview with George Stephanopoulos. And it's not just the two of them. I mean, the, the two of them are the only ones on camera. But you've got all sorts of aides that are there watching him. You've got the camera people, et cetera, et cetera. So at one point in time in the interview... You know, while the cameras are rolling, President Trump is is explaining why he won't turn his tax returns over to the, the Senate. And it's kind of a rambling sort of answer. But there's somebody in the background that you can hear coughing. And I'm not talking about this, like, hacking fit, but you can hear him coughing. It turns out that this is the, the chief of staff for the president. Um, so, you know, the chief of staff, he's, you know, he's coughing and it apparently distracts the president. And so what the president does is the president, Mick Mulvaney is the acting chief of staff. He, he stops from, and then he's, and he's talking about how he actually hopes people get to see his tax returns because, you know, it'll, it'll show you know, how much money he's made, et cetera, et cetera. And he gets distracted. And then what he does is he says, he just stops and he says, I don't like that. You know, I, I don't like that. If you're going to cough, please leave the room. I mean, you, you just can't, you just can't cough. Boy, oh boy. And he tosses the chief of staff out. Now, since that occurred, there's been a lot of stories coming out and they talk about how President Trump is a noted germaphobe, how he doesn't like to shake hands because he's afraid he's going to pick up uh, germs. And now other quotations are being resurrected about, you know, Trump campaign workers who said that they're told by multiple people that they're never supposed to cough or sneeze while in the presence of Donald Trump. He thinks it's a sign of weakness and a lack of control. People who cough in front of him never, ever recover. All right. I will tell you where I come down on this in just a minute. But 
Did Was Trump wrong in doing what he did? Now, let's look at what happens. He's doing this interview with ABC News. He's apparently distracted by the guy's coughing. And so he asks him to leave the room because he found it to be distracting. It, is that a news story? And is that is that wrong? Does he deserve to be mocked by this? Because I will tell you, this is a lead story in a lot of the, the different things. Well, he threw his chief of staff out because he was coughing. Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this fake news or is this a legitimate story? Is this, oh, here you have this out-of-control guy, again, who's, you know, he's got an aide that's coughing and he tosses him out for coughing, or... Is, is maybe this a reasonable response when you're doing the interview? 414-799-1620, did Trump go too far in tossing his chief of staff out of his room, out of the interview, when the guy was coughing? And admittedly, it didn't sound like it wasn't this huge coughing fit, but he did cough a couple times. All right, 414-799-1620, I'll tell you where I come down on this when we come back, but I am curious as to your reaction. Is this fake news? Or is this another example of, oh, my gosh, Trump is a tyrant and he's just completely out of control. You can't cough in front of him. 414-799-1620. We're back in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right. Is this a non-story? Is this fake news? Or is this a legitimate example of here we have Donald Trump again? He's a tyrant. He told his chief of staff to leave because the guy's coughing was distracting him during an interview. Scott in New Berlin. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Scott. Scott, Scott, Scott. Okay, lost Scott. 414-799-1620. All right, here's, let's go some text. Jeff, this is not fake news. It is exaggerated news. Donald Trump is the boss. He can have in the room who he wants to have in the room, and he can remove from the room whoever he wants to remove. That's true to a point. I guess at the same time, if you're throwing people out of the room for trivial sort of things, does that demonstrate that you're a bad boss? Hi, Jeff. The coughing story is much ado about nothing. The hate left media can't help themselves. This is fodder for Trump haters, but it is silly for everyone else. Judy says, this is fake news. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You know, I, I have no problem criticizing President Trump when I think he deserves it. And I know that irritates some of you when I go down that route. This particular case, I admit it's an involuntary eye roll. And this is one where I I think the mainstream media just kind of beclowns itself by picking up and running with this story. Now, look, Trump is giving the interview. He's sitting down. He's talking, you know, in front of the cameras. And now maybe you can argue that he gets distracted too easily or whatever, but you've got somebody off camera that's coughing. So he asks the guy who is coughing to leave. All right. I don't think that's the end of the world. I mean, I, I just I, I don't I, I don't I don't think it reflects on him as being a bad boss. I don't know about, you know, these other stories. Well, you're not supposed to cough in front of Trump because he thinks it shows weakness. Well, that's, you know, that's some campaign worker from years ago saying it. I'm just trying to picture that, okay, you're in, 
you're in a situation where you're doing an interview, normally what, what happens is it's quiet in, in the room, and you, you don't have people that are kind of coughing in the background. And typically, my guess is, if people are going to cough, what you do is you kind of excuse yourself because you don't want that picked up on the camera. So I guess I, I look at this, and again, I... I I wouldn't want to work for Donald Trump, okay? I, I, if you look at a lot of people that have associated with himself, with him over the years, you know, they've been, they've left in this tale of wreckage. There's no question about it. But at the same time, I think asking somebody when you're doing an interview to leave, if they're doing a behavior that distracts you, like coughing, I don't think that's out of, I don't think that that's out of line. And I don't think this, should reflect poorly on President Trump. Now, there might be all sorts of other stuff that reflect poorly on him, but at this point, you know, and this is the problem with some of these stories. For everybody in the mainstream media who objects to the fake news type of stuff and just hates this, well, when you when you give airplay to silly stories like this, you just feed into that fake news narrative. Todd in Greenfield. Todd, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thank you for taking my call. Sure. This is basically just a knee-jerk reaction to somebody who gets interrupted when they're trying to make a point. I'm sure you've been in that situation. Sure. <laughs> and maybe he didn't react properly, but it doesn't fodder for making major news. It's ridiculous. Well, well, right. I mean, he's right. He's doing an interview, and you've got somebody that's coughing in, in the background. Normally... Right, it's not about just coughing. It's, he got interrupted. Right. He reacted, and... And yeah. that, that makes it major news. Right. I know. I'm I'm with you entirely. It, it's, it's I think, a perfectly reasonable sort of reaction. He lost his train of thought. It was distracting. And right. so he's like, okay, hey, could you step out of the room while you're you're doing that? It doesn't <laughs> or, mean he's going to treat everybody the same if someone else coughs. It just had to do with the timing reaction. Right. Because he's, right, he's on TV. No, thanks to call. I'm with you. He's on TV. He's doing the interview. And it ended up, you know, being a distraction under the circumstances. So you, you know, step. Step out. Here's what he says. Another text. Jeff, I believe all presidents have probably done this. Come on. It's fake news. Well, I don't know if all presidents have done it because I, I my guess is any president in my lifetime who would have done something like this, if they did it, I don't know about it because it wouldn't have been reported. You wouldn't have thought anything about it. Matter of fact is my guess is, you know, people... My guess is if, for example, you have somebody that's in that room who's trying to suppress a cough, what you do is you, you kind of step outside anyhow. Now, this guy didn't, and I understand. Look, I'm, that's what I was saying earlier. I mean, I, you know, you, you catch me on the wrong day, and I'm fighting, like, uh, I'm fighting a cough and things like that. So I understand that that's going to happen. I understand it's a natural thing. But at the same time, again, if you're going to be doing that, well, then you, you step outside the room and you cough so it doesn't serve to be a distraction. For people out there who object to the term of fake news, and let's circle back to what the point of this conversation was, for people who object to the term fake news and for everybody in the mainstream media that thinks it's unfair that they get labeled with the handle of putting out fake news, my response would be, it's silly stories like this which play into that. You know, is Donald Trump the best boss in the world? Well, my guess is no. Like I say, that's why I think a lot of people, myself included, probably wouldn't want to work for him or with him. Is this a reason to think that the guy's a tyrant because he asked somebody who was coughing to step out of the room? My answer would be absolutely not. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
June 17th, 60 degrees outside. I was looking at the long-range forecast, and there, there's no 80-degree forecast days. There's there's maybe 70s, maybe a lot of 60s, maybe the 50s. I was going to say, uh, we'll be lucky if we hit 70 this week. Yeah, it, it, there's not a lot that's there, and I'm... Uh, Okay, I, I'm watching with my fingers crossed because very dear friends of mine, I've, I've been having a big outdoor wedding for their daughter. It is Saturday. I was telling a story before. We had this ceremony a couple weeks ago where we did this bury the bottle thing. This is apparently a southern tradition where you go out and you take a bottle of Jack Daniels bourbon whiskey and you bury it upside down in the garden. And it's supposed to guarantee like like good luck and a and a dry day for the wedding. Of course, my question about this whole thing was. We are going to dig this up at some point in time, aren't we? And I have been promised by the the bride's mother and father that yes, there will be a special party where we dig up this bottle, and you know some of us will will drink it. And it wasn't a little bottle; it was it was a liter bottle of of you know Mr. Jack Daniels buried upside down. So I am I am really I have my fingers crossed. It's a huge wedding, and my wife has been helping with the planning of it and all. And it's just a huge outdoor wedding, and I'm looking at the forecast for Saturday, and it's well, I, okay. Let me put it like this: that bottle of Jack Daniels better have some luck in it because the you know the weather service that there that forecast is not as as positive. But I'm again, it's it's kind of good thoughts about that. But this. You know, this spring has just been terrible. And I, I try not to spend too much time on this program complaining about stuff that we can't fix. But my my goodness, I mean, it's June 17th. It's 60 degrees outside. And it was a cold Father's Day weekend. And it looks like it's going to be kind of crummy moving forward. Hopefully, we'll get a break in this weather. you got Summerfest coming up a week from Wednesday. And, and you'd like to... You'd like to be able to go to Summerfest without having to wear parkas and things of the like, and hopefully that's going to happen. By the way, speaking of Summerfest, we are going to, I am, John McCure and I, will be broadcasting live at least some of the days of Summerfest. I'm going to be there opening day, which is Wednesday and the Friday, and then um, certainly next Tuesday and Wednesday. So I'm there for at least four days of Summerfest, and I'm encouraging you, please, if you're coming down to the lakefront during the day between noon to 3, stop off at our mobile talking facility and say hi. We love being at Summerfest. And then, of course, later on this year, we're going to be at State Fair in the fishbowl, and uh, that will be fun as well. Interesting story. I've been kind of watching this the 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 push for unionization and and you you see this in a number of industries you know there's efforts to try to get more fast food workers to try to unionize that's been a struggle but you know one of the areas where there is heavy unionization is of course um with with automakers interestingly no major foreign automakers have unionized plants in the United States and it's not because like the United Auto Workers haven't tried. It's because the workers make the decision that they they don't want to be unionized. And the latest example of that happened late last week at a Volkswagen plant in Chattanooga, Tennessee. The United Automobile Workers have been trying to organize this factory for years. In 2014, they had a vote and the employees, by a narrow margin, decided to be non-union. So they, they came back, and they've been mounting this huge campaign, Let, let's be unionized, and um, 1,600 workers voted. 
Again, it was close. 833 opposed the unionization, so that would mean like 760-whatever supported it. But once again, the, the organizing efforts have failed, and the UAW is trying to figure out what they're they're doing wrong. Part of the problem, though, is that um, the, the plant's top wage is $23.50. Workers start at 16 bucks. Top wage is $23.50. That's less than people can make if you're working at General Motors or Ford, but it's also dramatically above what the median salary is in Chattanooga. So there's a lot of people um, who are working at this plant are saying, well, you know, if we adopt, you know, we're doing pretty well. We're doing pretty well compared to a lot of the other people in our community. And, and yes, maybe if we unionize and we threaten strikes and all these type of things, maybe we can bump our wages up a little bit. But at the same time, you know, maybe Volkswagen is going to shutter this particular plant and, you know, move the production somewhere else. So, again, an interesting story. Once again, the UAW fails to convince workers in the South that a union is in their best interest. This has been a continuing battle. They continue to lose. And I, I don't know if it means just the death of unionization in the South or it's a problem in this particular industry, but UAW goes down to defeat yet again. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. If I lived in downtown Milwaukee, I would be absolutely thrilled about what's going on. If I live pretty much anywhere else in the city of Milwaukee, I would be saying, what about me? What's going on? Now, my reference, I had my little literary reference to A Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. All right, uh, but but that's that's not two cities. That's one city. There is one city, and there are the haves, and there are the have-nots. Last Thursday, um, I, I went with two of my oldest and dearest friends, and, and after work, we, we got together, and we went down to the area just to the west of the, the Pfizer Forum where Pabst Brewing is. Now, I had not been there for a while. I've been through it a lot, but I'd never been, I hadn't been there for a while. And we stopped at Milwaukee Brewing has this new brewery that they're opening up next to this huge restaurant called Glass and Griddle that was open. And you've got uh, Jackson's Blue Ribbon Pub and you've got the, the, the Pabst like, microbrewery that's there. And, and we walked around that area. And we walked into the old, you know, Pabst place as well. It was a really cool experience. I was, it was amazing to see how that area was developed. And there were all, there was all sorts of people, you know, in the different restaurants. It was just, it was a wonderful evening. And I was, I was just really impressed to the point that I've been telling people, you gotta go down there and check out this area. It's amazing what has happened over the course of the last couple years. Because candidly, for years and years, that area was kind of a, a ghost town. So then you move a little bit to the east. You've got the, you've got Pfizer forum you've got the bucks entertainment district you go a little bit to the south and you're starting to see the development around the convention center but you're starting to see all the work that's done in grand avenue um you've got you know east of the river you've got all sorts of development you've got you know a hundred million dollars for the trolley i'm not a fan of the trolley i think it's a big waste of money but you've got all these resources that are put into this and so really from that area you know past to the east there's a lot of stuff going on and credit where credit is due. And I and I, I was very impressed, very impressed with that area. Well, okay, on a couple different occasions last week, I've had to run errands, and those errands have taken me to various portions of the city of Milwaukee, um, not via the freeway, you know, so I'm, I'm driving streets. And 
how can I put this? If if the downtown development is just, oh, my gosh, this is really great. They've really turned this around. You go to a number of other areas of this city, and I'm, I'm not talking about the Northridge area, which is a pit. You go to a lot of other areas of the city, and it's just it, it's a dump. There, there's almost like there's no spillover at all. So you have this wonderful downtown renov- renovations that are going on, and then it, it's like an island. It's like an island, and then the rest of the city looks like it's been completely and totally neglected. Now, I was struck by this. And I'm thinking, boy, you know, if, if I lived in one of these other districts, I mean, I get it. If I live downtown, I'm thrilled that we've had all these, we've got all these bright, shiny objects, and we got the new hotels, and we got the new restaurants, and we've got the trolley, and we got all this, and this is this is all great. But I keep thinking, you know, if I lived in other parts of the city, I, I'd be saying, wait a second, you know, what about me? And it was interesting because today. In the New York Times, there's a big story, and the headline says, As downtown prospers, voters ask mayors, what about my neighborhood? And it raises exactly the same issue. And, you know, it, it's a focus of, of Detroit and Kansas City, and they're listing, you know, one other city after another where all these resources have put, been put into trying to renovate, restore, bring back downtown. And again, streetcar notwithstanding, there's a lot of great stuff going on in downtown Milwaukee. But you get just a little bit outside of the immediate downtown area, and you go, my gosh, this is like a completely and totally different city. And and nobody... Nobody seems to care about that, which is amazing to me about why people in the rest of of the city have allowed, you know, this to happen and why the elected officials, you know, haven't been held accountable saying, all right, do we put all these resources downtown? What about us? Our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Have has too much effort being spent been spent on trying to develop downtown at the expense of the rest of, in this case, the, the city of, of Milwaukee. And if so, you know, why why are people putting up with that? I mean, if I lived on the northwest side, for example, in the Northridge area, I'd be saying, oh, that's great. We just put $100 million into the trolley. That That's super. And, oh, it's great. The guy on the radio is talking about how they've developed the Pabst area. That's wonderful. And, yeah, it was really cool to look at all those people outside the Pfizer Forum. And, yeah, that's great what they're doing with Grand Avenue. And, oh, you've got all these different hotels going there. But I'm looking, and my area is blighted, and nobody seems to have any immediate plans to deal with that. 414-799-1620. That is the... Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, I know if I was living outside the immediate city area, I would be screaming bloody murder. You know, what What about what about me? And, and, you know, where have my needs been taken? This is to take nothing away from the downtown development, but it's really, all right, once you get out of downtown, man, you're talking, you're talking problems. Mark in New Berlin. Mark, your first good afternoon. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's terrible. My son lives in Milwaukee on the southwest side about uh, Alderman Barkowski says Alderman, so that area. Right. I mean, you have to fight to get a pothole fixed. They won't replace roads. They're finally doing 60th Street, South 60th Street, but that's because the state's doing it. 
was shambles for years, yep. you know. You know, I even called and I even, you know, they even did a podcast with me about it. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just terrible. It's just, you know, and, but I think what happened, the Bucks brainwashed the city a little bit. Yeah. They got the city rolling on everything. I mean, Peter Fagan, I mean, he's a great, uh, whatever he is, salesman. He really did a good job of getting the there. Well, <laughs> I, well, I, Mark, thanks you. See, I, I don't think, I mean, look, I don't think it's fair to dump that on the Bucks. This, the, they were a part, I, I, this is Tom Barrett. I mean, th- this is this is Tom Barrett, and and he's not alone. This is we're going to revitalize the downtown area, and and yeah, we'd like everything else to come along, but we're going to put our resources in, into this. This is why you have the streetcar. I mean, you know, right, let's let's take all this money and let's try to you know we'll have the the yuppie people mover. And again, people agree with me or disagree with me about the streetcar, but it's a lot of resources that, for example, could have gone into other transit sort of things, but but it wasn't. And so, okay, let's try to create these TIF districts. Let's try to create the incentive. Let's, you know, let's redevelop Grand Avenue. And I don't have a problem with that because I, I understand if you come to, you know, the main drag of a city, Wisconsin Avenue, and it, it looks like a ghost town and all you have is wig shops and nail salons. Okay, that, that says, that makes a comment uh, about the, the city. But at the same time, you look at all the great things that are going on downtown and there are great things that are going on downtown, and then you get a little ways away from downtown, or you get a lot of ways away from downtown, and it's like nothing. There's no spillover at all, which does make me wonder about the people who represent those areas. What are you doing? I mean, has have you been totally brainwashed, not by the Bucks, but by Tom Barrett? I mean, where where is the resources? Let's talk to Tony on the northwest side. Tony, you're on WTMJ. Jeff, my neck of the woods, help. (laughs) (laughs) I'm off of 80th and Brentwood, which is off of Mill Road. Lived here since 68. And it's awful. Uh, Our mayor only cares about downtown, and it shows. And I don't know what to do. You know, I've I've called the aldermen. I mean, the grass on the boulevards is mile high before they cut it, and then it looks like hell. Mm Mm-hmm. No one picks up the garbage. Brown Deer Road, you might as well. There used to be so thriving yep. with the restaurants and such, but now they just had a meeting a month ago that I went to on Brown Deer about revitalizing the Brown Deer area. Right. And then a week later, I saw a thing in the paper where the people that own it, Chinese or whatever. Right, they own Northridge, yep. Right, said that uh, they're going to put money into it, they're going to... So then here we go again. Same thing they've been saying for 15 years without spending a dime on it. No, so you're, I mean, so, okay, so as a resident, you're you're seeing this. It's like, oh, we go downtown and we've got all these bright, shiny things and there's all this stuff going on. And you're like, hey, I pay taxes too. What about me? That's right. That's right. I mean, I get my garbage service a big freaking deal. You know what I mean? Well, no. (laughs) Well, no. Well, but that's, see, and this is, this is not unique. If you're wondering, if you live in the city of Milwaukee and you're wondering about this, this is not unique. This is Kansas City. This is Detroit. This effort of, okay, we're going to try to revitalize the immediate downtown area. That's where we're going to put our resources and effectively, well, to heck with the rest of you, which it, that only happens if you have representatives, and I, I, I'm near north side, south side, west side, northwest side, that only happens if, if if your older people sign off on that and and let it and let it happen. You know, it's like, and I'm I'm just kind of wondering. Oh, that this is great. We're going to have these developments, and yes, we're doing this and that and the other thing, and it is great. But but 
you do it at the expense of the rest of the city. And if if I'm noticing it, I got to believe other people are noticing it as well. Michael in Milwaukee. Michael, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah. Hi. Hi I live downtown, and I had moved away from Milwaukee for about 20 years. I uh, come from a family who was somewhat prominent in the city, part of building it up. And when I came back, I was just appalled at what's been going on. The downtown's nice, mm-hmm. but the rest of the city, it's a disgrace. Yeah, and and and, it's, and there does yeah, and there does just doesn't appear to be all the priorities seem to be okay. We're we're going to put all these resources in to the downtown area, and I'm look, I I I loved it. I mean, I love what they've done with the Pabst area, but you know, five miles to the west, not so much. So, where is the work on that? What go 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 half a mile, go yeah. down Belize Street. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, and I appreciate you putting a pretty face on it, but. I mean, come on, these are underrepresented people. These are yeah. people with low, low socioeconomic status. Yeah. They don't have the ability to stand up and say, well, what about us? What about the schools? What about the right. well, well, where are the aldermen, though? You know, where are the aldermen? I, you, know, what, you know, what? it's, it's they great. Represent hey. poor, they represent poor areas. Yeah. That's what the problem is. Well, yeah, no, right. Thanks. Well, we agree that, I mean, thanks, look, and I... I'm not letting anybody off the hook here, but it's very, very clear to me, and I'm, I'm kind of curious. you got a mayoral race coming up, and I'm kind of curious as to whether there's going to be some challenges that emerge that try to you know, raise this, this very issue. What about us? Okay, you've got all these great, bright, shiny toys, and it's great that the Democratic National Convention is, is coming to downtown Milwaukee, but what does that mean? You know, where, where are we? Are you better off today? If you live on Valit Street or if you live on the northwest side, are you better off today than you were four years ago or eight years ago or 12 years ago? I mean, have we kind of missed the boat? And in fairness to Milwaukee, it, it, you're not alone because this has been the emphasis. It's let's, let's try to, you know, revitalize downtown and then maybe it will all come and, and maybe that will all happen, but not in my lifetime probably and not in yours either. When we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa and Greg have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please hang on. This is Jeff Wagner.